Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is your host, Paul Ollinger, but uh, you know how this introduction goes by now, don't you? Hey, it's a great day to be alive. It's 1.45 p.m. on a Monday, and the sun is shining outside, and it's not raining, but there's a lot of lightning and thunder coming on. So if a tornado siren goes off in the middle of recording this, I'm going to run to the cellar, to the tater cellar and take shelter. As if microbes weren't threatening enough, now we have nature's more traditional threats to deal with in the form of thunder and lightning. Hey, I've got a great show for you today. A guy named Chris Hogan, who is an author and financial media personality in the empire of one Dave Ramsey. I say that with love and respect, by the way. Dave Ramsey helps a lot of people out with their personal finances. And Chris is one of his guys. Chris is an expert in the world of retirement and savings. He's written a book called Everyday Millionaires. And we're going to talk about that in our conversation coming up in a minute. But first, I want to start by saying thank you. I'm grateful to you, listener and listeners, both you individually and you in the aggregate, because, you know, things are going pretty well here at Crazy Money. It's not, we don't have a giant machine here yet, but what we have is an incredibly loyal one, an incredibly engaged audience. I'll tell you about that. Here's the thing. The total audience, I'm not going to get into numbers. It's not giant. It's the size of a small college, a really good small college, by the way. But what it is, we have a tenacious listener base. You all are highly, highly engaged at numbers that I've shared with people who know podcasts and they're blown away by how loyal they are. So just a couple of nuggets for you. I was looking at some podcast statistics that you can get through Apple and on Spotify. You got to kind of cobble these things together. There's no Nielsen for podcasts yet. Anyway, I was looking at these numbers, the average amount of time that the average device that listens to crazy money, that would be an individual, but Apple knows you as a device. That's kind of impersonal, isn't it? Anyway, the average device that Apple records listens to crazy money for an hour and 58 minutes per device. That's almost two hours per month. That is like consuming almost two full episodes a month, over half the content that I produce in a month, which is insane, which is just nutso. Listen, there are over 1.5 million podcasts in the world. Spotify just released their numbers last week. 1.5 million podcasts on Spotify. Over half of them have been released this year. That means that the three biggest side effects to a quarantine are depression, loneliness, and starting a podcast. That's a little quarantine humor for you there. Seriously, there's a lot of choice out there. So the fact that you all are choosing to spend almost two hours per month with this podcast, it blows me away and I'm enormously grateful. Of the four episodes released in June, each of which had a full week to find its listener base, the average completion rate of those episodes was 77.5%. 77.5. That means that 78% of people finished the whole episode or thereabouts, right? It means that, you know, half the people may have quit, but the other half listen to the entire thing. That's pretty incredible. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to Joe Rogan. I listen to Mark Maron. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I generally don't get through all of them. So the fact that so many of you are hanging with each episode is uh, very gratifying to me. And I'm grateful to you for sticking with it. You might find this to be of interest. The most completed episode last month was that with author and professor Emrys Westacott, who wrote the book, The Wisdom of Frugality. And the prior month, that would be June, the most completed episode was my interview with the New York Times' Paul Sullivan, author of The Thin Green Line. Liked both those conversations a lot, and I'm glad you did too. So thank you, 
listener for your interest. If you're new to the show, please subscribe. Please take a minute. By the way, we have a very high percentage of subscribed listeners, which means two things. One, I really appreciate you subscribing. We have a high loyalty rate among subscribers, but it also means that I'm not doing as good enough job of getting the word out there. So I would love your help if you would share this with three friends who you think might like what we talk about here on Crazy Money. Use the email. That's an easy way to do it. Share share, click the button, you know, send an email. Thank you for your interest. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks also to the following listeners who reached out in the past week or so. Mr. Rob Schultz of Atlanta. I see you walk in the neighborhood, listening to the podcast. You're handsome. I love those new shoes you got. Those are the kind the old people in the mall wear. Keep it up, Rob. Linda Lynch, my fellow Tuck School alum. Hello. Thanks for the note. New listener, Kyle Zabala in Pasadena, not necessarily new, and I'm not necessarily pronouncing his name right, but Kyle, I appreciate the note. I'm glad you're finding value with Crazy Money. Tom Ruby, who got introduced to the show from my buddy, Chris McMahon, my classmate, Chris McMahon, who I also believe was at Ben Rincher's mom, not at Ben Rincher's mom's house, at John Whittemore's house, the epic lasagna day, which listeners of a recent episode will recognize the story. Welcome, Rob, Linda, Kyle, Tom. So glad you're here. We're all over the country, ladies and gentlemen. So please share with your local friends. All right, let's talk about Chris Hogan, because this is an interesting cat. Chris Hogan is a retirement planning expert and a popular financial media personality. He's a former college football player. You will hear his heft and his strength in his voice. This is a non-trivial physical presence that we're talking to. Also a non-trivial intellectual presence, as you'll hear as well. But you won't be surprised necessarily that Chris started his career working as a bill collector. But you might be surprised as how that experience shaped his career from there on. In that role, Chris saw the economic pain that mismanaging finances can wreak on a family. And since 2005, he's worked with personal finance legend Dave Ramsey to fulfill his goal of helping as many people as possible achieve financial autonomy via the Chris Hogan Show and his two books, Retire Inspired and Everyday Millionaires. Chris has helped millions of people not just understand retirement, investing, and building wealth, but to put in place plans to achieve their goals. In this brief discussion, Chris and I discussed the importance of creating a vision for a post-work life. That is what we call retirement. And it's not as easy as you think. I quit working and I found retirement to be boring because I didn't know what I wanted from life. Chris helps his clients have those conversations long before it happens to them. We also talk about how to control your spending and very importantly, what can be done to close the racial wealth divide. By the way, I ask him Socratic questions about what I can do to help with the racial wealth divide. But one thing that Stacy and I have done with our family's blessings has been to contribute to Year Up, which you've heard me talk about before. Year Up, if you don't remember, is a national job training program that helps ambitious, hardworking young adults acquire the skills for careers that provide a living wage. If you want to learn more about Year Up, see the links in the show notes. You can even click on the Give Now button to help a kid today. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Chris Hogan. At some point, we all die. And there's a dash between the number and date you were born and the date that you left this earth. I think that dash has a lot it can say. I wish they could make it a QR code, right? And a way that someone (laughs) could kind of click on it and you can kind of begin to see who'd they bump into? Who did they help when no one was watching? Who did they encourage in this path, in this life? Who loved them like deep down inside? Who's grateful for this person being on this planet? 
And I think if those things were measurable as boy, oh boy, it would help you put life in perspective real quick. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Chris Hogan, welcome to Crazy Money. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Chris, you used to be a bill collector, but now you're a financial advisor and a media personality. How does one make that leap? Boy, I can tell you gradually, Um, (laughs) you know, starting off and working in the consumer finance industry, I would actually do the lending at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month, I got a chance to go out and collect for those that didn't pay. (laughs) And it was eye opening for this middle class boy from Kentucky. I didn't understand how money worked. And I can tell you what, I got a PhD sitting in living rooms with people people that were account numbers on a screen, but when you get in the living room and sit down, they become people and they become people that have families and that have had life happen. And it was an eye opener for me to understand that uh, what struggle looks like for people. And so I eventually moved in the direction of wanting to educate people on how money worked and more importantly, how to make it work for them, not against them. And that's where I had a chance to cross paths with Dave and really was able to make the transition to more of an educator and coach as opposed to salesperson. Now, how does one cross paths with Dave Ramsey? Did you just bump <laughs> into him at the 7-Eleven at the Slurpee machine or something? <laughs> no, it was actually a little more formal than that. It was actually through a charity function and had an opportunity to get a chance to meet him and really strike up a friendship and really start to not just hear you know this wild man on the radio, but to get a chance to see his heart and his mission of his company. It was extremely eye-opening. What is that mission and what part do you play in helping to achieve it? He is all about giving hope to people, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status. It's a matter of giving people hope in every area of life. And I've had an opportunity to be with him for 15 years now and to see the mission of the company not only grow, but to see the reach and the impact that we're able to have across this nation. How does the experience of sitting with someone who's having trouble paying the bills that they owe to you, how does that give you an advantage in understanding the problems that people have every day? Well, I'm not just somebody that has, you know, read about it. I'm someone that has experienced it and I guess in some ways have caused some of it as a lender uh, (laughs) in my role. And, you know, that gives you a deeper level of understanding on the mental side, the heart side. I think Paul is the big thing. I know what it looks like when someone has a sick child and they can't make ends meet. I know what it looks like for people that have lost a job or have lost a loved one. And so it gives me another level of, of empathy, but also understanding of what people are feeling. And I've been there myself. You know, I've done my versions of stupid. I've dealt with my versions of headache and heartache. Some of it self-imposed, some of it I didn't, but you get a chance to learn from it and you get a chance to grow forward with it. And I try to use that in my coaching people when I speak. What was the financial example you observed in your home growing up? You know, money was not something that was really talked about, or if it was discussed, I grew up in a single parent home. And if it was discussed, it was the lack thereof. Right. Right. And so, you know, for me, it was this thing that you worked, you made money, but I didn't really know much about it until I really got into college and started to really dig in and learn more. What were the lessons you picked up in college? 
Well, I picked up a lot of stupid in college. That's yeah, where I got I involved say. with credit cards. Okay, <laughs> That's where... You get a free okay, sweatshirt so, with that Discover card. Yeah, yeah. So what I discovered from my Discover card is that there's two types of interest, Paul, in the world. There's interest that you earn and there's interest that you pay. Mm. And so I was in the pay category right. for a few years uh, cleaning up some stupid. Yeah. How old were you when you started to get your financial act together? When did you become a financial grown-up? Oh, gosh. Financial grown-up, probably 23, 24. That's that pretty was, young, man, because there's still a lot of stupid in most guys at 23, 24. Well, I still had some to go. Okay, I don't. <laughs> so I became, maybe I was a preteen, but I think by the time I was 28, 29, Whenever, you know, you, you move forward in life, you start to realize with money, you get to learn lessons or you get to live them. And I wanted to definitely live these lessons and, and put some principles in place. You write about retirement. When you say retirement, do you simply mean not working? No. When I talk about retirement, I mean dreams and options, right? I'm talking about you, the things deep down in your heart, you know, that you've mm -hmm. wanted to do, the people you've wanted to do for, the thing that gets you excited, options. I want to have get to's, not have to's in my life. I want to get to do some stuff. I don't want to have to do. Right. And so when I talk about retirement, that's what I'm seeing. I get all these visuals of the things that I'm going to do. And notice my language. I didn't say hope. I didn't say wish. I say I'm going to do because that's the plan I'm on. You don't just win that option. You have to will that into reality. And it starts at an early age, right? Well, it starts at whatever age you become aware. I like that you use financial grown-up because some people haven't reached that yet. We have to get to what I call your uncle point. I grew up with five uncles, and so they were all bigger than me. And then at like 12, I started to develop some strength, right? And they used to get me in a spot, and they'd hold me there until I said uncle. Well, you know, you got to get to that point where you get to that give-up point, and you say, okay, what I'm doing is not working. What do I need to implement? Who do I need in my life? What information do I need in my life? And am I serious about making changes? The difference is, is I think people dabble with it, right? They're interested in better. I don't want you to get interested. I want you to be committed to it. And what that means is you sacrifice and you give up some stuff, but it's for a worthy cause. Full disclosure, financial grown-up is Bobby Rebell's term, and I'm not going to uh, get on her turf because she'll come after me. Let's talk about that catalyst. What is it that opens people's eyes to either their mortality or the fact that they're not going to be able to earn a paycheck forever or that they don't want to earn a paycheck forever? They want to have, they want to live that sort of get to, not have to part of their lives. What makes them commit to putting a plan in place? You know, I have seen, haven't talked to hundreds of thousands of people at speaking engagements and as a financial coach, I've seen a lot of things cause that awareness and that wake up call to happen, whether it is the birth of a child, getting married, the loss of a loved one or a sick parent. You know, I've seen a lot of things be the catalyst and I think it can all happen on an individual basis. But we all, at some point, when it happens, I think that's a flag in the ground moment where you look at this and you go, I get to choose. Like, it's not about mm -hmm. where I was born. It's not about the family I was born into. I don't get to make excuses for myself mm -hmm. anymore. I'm going to make choices for myself. The beauty of it is, is that that can happen at any stage and any age. I just want it to happen for people sooner than later. Is there something about you that is special that helps people not just see that they can get out of debt, but put a plan in place and make it happen for themselves? Well, I don't know if there's anything necessarily special about me outside of I believe that they can. 
I'm the recipient of a lot of people believing in this little country boy from coaches <laughs> and teachers and family members. Yeah. No, I'm serious, man. They saw stuff in me that I didn't see mm -hmm. and they encouraged me and they pushed me. And so, you know, the fact of my coaches in college, the way that they push me, I refuse to give up on people. I refuse to believe that they can't. You might tell me you won't, but don't tell me you can't. And so I'm that person that's pushing people to maybe believe more is available for them than they believe. But when they see me believe it or they see someone else believe it, they start to kind of come around a little bit. And so I just want to keep tooting that horn and flanning that flame for people to get them to see, hey, I do get to choose. What are the most common mistakes that professionals with good jobs make in their financial lives? Thinking they can out earn their stupid. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, I mean, that's me. I'm, I'm just telling you. I mean, because as a professional, your income grows each year. Hopefully, And so you yeah. think, well, it's just going to keep growing. Sure. And it's going to just keep growing. And so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to make any changes. I'm just going to keep working and buying some stuff, working, buying some stuff, and then you never make any progress. Right. So I think, you know, that aware thinking you can just out-earn your stupid, meaning you'll just keep making more and therefore spending more without a plan is a problem. It's like dietitians or physical trainers will tell you, you can't outrun your mouth, right? You gotta, you, you, you can exercise all you want, but if you're eating a pint of ice cream every night, you're going to put weight on. That's funny. I like that. And that's true. But again, I think it comes back to us going, Hey, what is my mission? What is it I want? What do I want to do? And I think the idea of being able to travel, but also giving, you know, anonymously taking mission trips, I want to do something that stands for something. You know, I think I have three sons, you know, I've told people, you know, they're a part of my legacy, but more importantly, I want somebody to bump into those boys years down the road and say, I met your dad or I heard your dad speak and that man made me believe. And I think if, if I've impacted one person to be able to do that, then I've done my job. And I think there's so much going on in this world, especially right now that we can't control. It's so easy to go negative. It is so easy to get caught up in things outside of our control that when we center in and we look and we start to realize, I get to make a decision. I get to choose how I respond. I don't get to choose everything that happens to me, but I do get to choose how I respond. And I want to do that in the right way. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now. You know, there's a whole lot of talk about the racial wealth gap. And indeed, recent studies indicate that the median black family has about 10% of the net worth of the median white family. How big of a problem is this and what can be done about it? Well, it's a major problem. I mean, anytime you see a wealth gap to that level, what you see is disparity. You have a disparity in options. You have a disparity in opportunities and a disparity in income. And so what you have to do is realize, okay, is this okay? And I'm one of those people that I have that, that two-sided monster in me, <laughs> meaning that I am a lion, but I'm also a bear. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is I want people to make the decision for themselves and then push, right? I want others to look at it and realize that, hey, what do I do? Am I contributing to the gap or am I doing something to try to empower and to be able to help people for themselves? And so it boils down to knowledge. It boils down to opportunities. And those things won't just fix themselves. There's a system that's flawed, right? There's opportunities that are out there, but more people need to see that path and be encouraged to take that path for themselves and their family. How do we do that though? I mean, like what can I do on any given day to help those around me who are less fortunate, don't have the same kinds of opportunities? Well, I think what you're doing on your show right now, you know, you're talking to people, helping them to understand the reality of what's out there, but there are choices, 
right? And when people have information, like I firmly believe there's three things. I talk about it in my second most recent book, Everyday Millionaires. There's three things you have to do. You've got to believe that you can, right? You've got to grow in your knowledge and then you got to take the right actions. And so I think, you know, shows like yours where you're helping people hear from this perspective, understand this information so they can grow from it. That to me is part of the solution. Now, you're always going to have crazy people on this planet. Um, <laughs> I work with a few, right? Every once in a while. Sure. But, but the reality is, is I want people internally to choose what they believe, right? What is mm -hmm. possible for them? Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to meet Condoleezza Rice a few years ago. And uh, this woman is absolutely brilliant. Sure. Uh, her purse is smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> she speaks four languages. I mean, this woman is brilliant. And she said, you know, she grew up in rural Alabama. Right. And her name's Condoleezza. And, you know, rural Alabama back in the 50s, you can imagine she was called everything but her name. And she <laughs> yeah, said one imagine. of the things her parents said is that it's not a matter where you come from, it's where you're going. Sure. And they instilled in that in her to not hear the negatives or to be bothered with it, but be more focused on what you can control. And I just love that. And I think I want more young people of color, Latino, African-American, uh, whatever it is, to start to hear that message and to believe that message mm. more than anything else. There's so much messaging coming at all of us, but especially young people who are engaged in lots of different social media, and they don't have the maturity, and I don't mean that disparagingly, I mean it, they just haven't had as much time on this earth to be able to have as many experiences to process things, that to understand that the situation we're in now will be different in five years, hopefully mm -hmm. better, but this pandemic will not last forever. The current economic cycle will change, either for better or for worse. So part of what you're talking about in Everyday Millionaire, you kind of have to have faith in time. You have to have faith that things can change. How do you help people see that their own world can be very different 10, 20 years from now than what they're seeing around them right now? Well, I mean, it's, it's important to realize that. I think it's important for us to look at ourselves and understand how we've changed and evolved. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I go back and I talk about my coaches all the time, but one of our coaches, I'll never forget, used to tell us all the time, you either get better or you get worse. Nothing stays the same. Mm right? And so you're either getting better or getting worse. Nothing stays the same. And so in that mindset of thinking about that going, okay, am I getting better? Like, what is it I've grown in today? Right? And I think history also proves to us a lot of things. I mean, people, we forget history and that's scary because then you're doomed to repeat it. But the great depression, right? That happened in the thirties, terrible, tough time. We came out of it. Mm -hmm. And then you move forward into this. And then you, you had uh, black Monday in 87, the stock market crash. We came out of it. Then we had Y2K. Remember when everything was going to shut down? Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And you remember the SARS epidemic in 02 and 03? Nope. We came out of it. <laughs> and then the Great Recession, 07 to 09. Right. Yeah. So history shows us that there are going to be these cycles I think it's about our positioning and what we do for ourselves that will determine how we handle it. Right. And there's also this tendency for each of us to compare ourselves not to who we were yesterday, but to our neighbor, right? My happiness is contingent upon you having no more than me. Yeah. Now, see, now you're going to get me riled up. Okay. That, this, <laughs> this is one of those, Paul, that uh, my, my colleague, uh, Rachel Cruz, 
talks about in her book, mm -hmm. Love Your Life, Not Theirs, that she talks about that whole comparison thing and the danger of it, especially in this social media age where everyone is showing their best versions of themselves. You know, I saw a picture of a friend of mine. He's got three kids. And in the picture, they were all perfectly smiling and clean. I know these kids. That picture is not real. Right. Okay. These kids are dirty. They run around. They eat dirt. They climb in trees. <laughs> They're doing stuff. And so when you get caught up in that and you look at it and then you look at your life, what it does is it can shame you. You can start to feel bad about where you are and what you have. So there's this factor of contentment mentally for us to be accepting of where we are, but not accepting that that's the place you have to end up. I tell people all the time, you're not stuck. You just stopped, right? right? You either stop believing or you stop acting. So you got to jumpstart that. What do you think when you see somebody post a photo of themselves on social media, riding on a private jet? <laughs> well, Hey, they're riding on a plane. You know, right. I mean, I think no more of that. I, I I don't, it's not anything that me seeing a picture of someone on a private plane, it doesn't make me go introspective about my life. And to be honest with you, I'm busy doing stuff. I'm not consuming a whole lot. I put some stuff out and I've been trying to encourage people on stuff, but I don't, the look at me stuff, eh, it is what it is. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Chris Hogan will not be putting up a TikTok channel anytime soon. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see you do some of those dances on TikTok, though. Let's just say that you won a million dollar lottery. What would you do with it? Well, I mean, it's one of those, I think, like with anything, you do some spending, you do some giving, and you do some saving. And that's no different than if you were to come into an inheritance or anything like that. I think we want to be smart about where we are, uh, be intentional about how money works. But just understand, if you don't have a plan for your money, someone else will. What do you mean by that? Well, just think about it. The commercials that are out there. I mean, here's the deal. Back when I was growing up, you had to go to the mall or to the store to spend, right? And we used to have these catalogs. Paul, you're too young for this. You don't know anything about it. These Sears catalogs that were like 48 inches thick. Of course I right? You would that, yeah. thumb through them and circle the stuff you wanted for Christmas and all this stuff. Nowadays, we're one click away from stuff showing up right? You can click on a button and some stuff will show up at your house. So overspending is not about your location. It's about your mental state of mind. Mm. So I think it's important for us to say, I got to guard myself. There's always going to be a commercial to make me feel bad about what I have or what I don't have. I need to have contentment and I need to have a plan of action for myself, some guardrails financially. So do you have people write out kind of their own financial vision statement and what the role money should play in their lives? I take it a step backwards, not necessarily a financial vision statement, but I want them to have high definition dreams. I talk about that in Retire Inspired. And what I mean by that is, uh, I'll never forget when I first saw my first high definition TV, like it was unbelievable. Like football was on. <laughs> right, and right. It, it was like I was in the game. I saw the picture on a whole new level and it dawned on me, if I can get people to see their retirement dreams that clear, they can't imagine not living it. Right. Like for me, I want to have a scholarship in honor of my grandparents. Now you mm -hmm. hear that most people have grandparents. They go, oh, that sounds cute. But if you know me and know what my grandparents meant to me, what you understand is, is that they spent a lot of time developing this little country boy, believing in me, getting me to think bigger for myself. So when I talk about establishing a scholarship for them, that's not optional. That's going to happen, right. right? Because that's honoring them. See that kind of thing. I want people to envision that for themselves in their future. What kind of a scholarship would you endow for them and what would you want the recipient of that scholarship to do with the opportunity that you're giving them? 
Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I think one of the scholarship goals that I have in that is not only to help single parents, I think that's true and near and dear to my heart, uh, but at the same time, non-traditional students, students that are working hard and working a job while they have a family, wanting them to be able to have an opportunity to pursue a higher education, whether that's daytime or nighttime. How do you feel about the educational system and what could we do to make it work for people so that it's preparing them for the right kinds of jobs that are going to be out there in the future? Well, you know what? I think the educational system is completely jacked up right now. (laughs) And I'm a firm believer in higher education. I have a master's degree. I believe higher education is a good thing. But the sheer cost of it, like, has absolutely gotten out of control. And, you know, I think we're failing all the way around, meaning in high school, being able to help young people understand, are they more geared toward a trade school? Are they more geared toward college? Uh, Talking about scholarships and grants and these opportunities for them. So they understand, they go into it with an understanding of what's at stake. See, right now we've got young people moseying into a financial aid office, signing documents they don't understand for payments they can't afford. And it's impacting the next 10 to 15 years of their lives, where if they would have understood the factor and the options, and this goes to parenting uh, as well, being able to talk to young people to help them understand, hey, this is your career path. This is an option to do it. This one is going to cost this amount. This other option is this amount. We've got to help guide young people because they don't understand money. So they're making a decision based off of emotion instead of fact. Right. And college is a good, just like a sweater in a mall. And, you know, you can buy the overpriced sweater and it's going to wear out just as quickly as the other one is. And you're sitting there left with the student debt hangover, you know, the buzzsaw that people walk into when they're 18 years old. It's, it's No, you're absolutely right. And people get so caught up in the name of school. I've done hiring for years. I don't ever look at where they graduated. You know what mm. I want to know? What did you study and did you complete it? Right. Right. Those are the kinds of things that I want to know. It's not that brand label, you know? And so again, but that's the dream that has been sold to young people. They think I need to go to this school to get a good job. And so those two things don't necessarily correlate. What changes would you like to see in the world before your boys have their own families? Wow. We only have a few minutes, Chris. You got these multiple choice what answers. What I'd like to see to the world before my boys or, or to the United States or to the area where you live. Wow. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see people see people for people. I think we're so protected in our bubbles and we don't see people's hearts. I would love for us to get to the point to where regardless of color of skin or where you were born or your, your accent or where you might live, that people start to see each other for themselves, that we get to become more of a melting pot of understanding. We're all got red blood. Yeah. We're all wired. We all have desires to be appreciated, needed, and wanted. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to see the world get a little bit more kind before my boys have a family. Amen to that. Two more questions. Number one, what are you best at? I think I'm best at encouraging people. And I think that happens just because I was the recipient of it. I not only know the impact, I can know the result. And so I think that really makes me someone that loves to do it in return. Mm. And how do you define success at this point in your life and career? How do I define success at this point in my life and career? How many people have you impacted? Right? Like, what have you done? At some point, we all die. And there's a dash between the number and date you were born and the date that you left this earth. I think that dash has a lot it can say. 
I wish they could make it a QR code, right? And a way that someone could kind of click on it and you can kind of begin to see who'd they bump into? Who did they help when no one was watching? Who did they encourage in this path, in this life? Who loved them? Like deep down inside, who's grateful for this person being on this planet? And I think if those things were measurable as boy, oh boy, it would help you put life in perspective real quick. Well, that's a great way to put it and to sum it up. Chris, I know our listeners have found you to be quite compelling. If they didn't already know you, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, I appreciate you, my friend. It was a pleasure to have this conversation. They can learn more about me by going to chrishogan360.com. That's chrishogan360.com. All right, Chris, thanks so much for taking time to be a part of the show. Thank you for having me, my friend. Thank you so much, Chris. I greatly appreciate you making time to be a part of the show. Good luck with the new book and continued success with everything else. Ladies and gentlemen, the power is going out as I'm speaking. This is nuts. The rain has come. The sun's no longer shining. It's torrential rain and super loud thunder and lightning. I'm glad I'm not on the golf course because I wouldn't be on the golf course. I'd be sitting in my car waiting for the rain to pass. Let's talk about the takeaways for this week's episode. First of all, my goodness, Chris Hogan has a deep voice. I thought I had a pretty good voice, but you hear that guy and you're like, wow, this guy came out of the womb ready for broadcasting. Give him a microphone, ladies and gentlemen. I love the concept of the dash between birth and death, man. That's a pretty interesting way to think about things that that's all that really matters. And you don't know how close you are to either side right now. Most of us are probably a little bit later in life. Very few of us here are uh, college-age kids. Maybe you are. And if you are, hey, how you doing? Thanks for uh, showing up. I hope you get to go back to class someday real soon. But that dash, man, what do you want to make of it? What do you want it to be? And the more I think about these things, the more I think about what Chris said, we have to make a conscious choice. Like I've been writing about the scoreboard recently, the scoreboard at the uh, spin class I go to, well, I used to go to, the scoreboard drives my thinking. I noticed that I was, I was working hard to not have the kind of spin class I wanted to have. I was just working hard simply to get to the top of the scoreboard. And we all have to uh, break ourselves out of the scoreboard. We have to be intentional about the way we live our lives and make a clear decision about the metrics we're going to prioritize in our lives. Otherwise, we just work unquestioningly from the beginning of that dash to the end of the dash without deciding what we want our lives to be about. And that's what I'm hoping to do here at Crazy Money. I can't do it without you. I greatly appreciate you sticking around. If you have an opportunity, send this uh, episode to three friends who you think might like it. If you have any suggestions for upcoming guests, shoot me a note at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. Got some great ones coming up, including Guy Raz and some other great authors who have some new books coming out. Check back with us next week. If you have time, listen to another episode you might have skipped along the way. Thanks for being here. Mike Carano, Make Me Sound Smart.